All right, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to continue in the book of Romans together. Uh, Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, you should see one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, it's a blue Bible. We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Uh, God's Word is, is so, so incredibly precious to us. Uh, the thought that the Creator and Sustainer of the universe would uh, see fit to write us um, His words and His revelation is just awesome. It's just awesome. So Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Uh, be big number 14. Little number 13 is where we're going to start. Uh, let me ask you this question. Um, anyone here a runner? Anyone here just love running? You too? All right. Talk about church unity right there. Something I can get behind. Uh, we have a runner. Yeah, I won't point it. But yeah, we have one, at least one in here. At least one in here. Um, I don't get running. Do you get running? I've never, uh, never understand that I'm not tough enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not disciplined enough to be a runner. Um, never been in a race in my entire life. However, however, if we know our, if we know our destiny as people of God, as we know our job as faithful followers of Jesus, as we know that we are pursuing Christ, we are in a race. We are in a race. Scripture makes it really clear that the Christian life is like a race. That we have to discipline ourselves. That we have a prize to chase after. That we have a finish line. And our prize is not a medal or a trophy or a crown. Our prize is Jesus Christ. And in the Christian life, this race, there, there are stands all around that are watching us. And, and God says that in the stands are the world. And they're watching His church pursue the prize that is Jesus Christ. And the whole world is watching us going, what are they going to look like running this race? What are they going to look like? What are they going to do? How are they going to do it? But this race is not like a typical race. Uh, this race is not an individual sport. This race is about you and me. This race is a race that the church runs together. And the goal is not for me to beat you. The goal is not for me to be the best Christian in this whole place. That's not the goal. That's not the prize. The goal of our running the race is that all of us finish. And not just finish, but finish well. Our job is to run this race together as Trinity Baptist Church and to, to, to ask people from the stands to say, look Look at the finish line. Look at the prize. Isn't this worth racing? Come and race with us. And in this race, we're running together after Jesus and we're cheering one another on. And we are supporting one another. And in life, when I'm running after Jesus and you see me stumble and fall and maybe I'm, maybe I'm soaked in grief, Maybe I'm soaked in suffering. Your job is not to say, ah, oh, poor, that poor Jordan back there, I'm going to keep going. Your job is to stoop down and to scoop me up and help me continue the race. And when, when we pull somebody out of the stands and they start running, our job is not to criticize the way that they're running. Our job is not to, to ridicule their pace. Our job is not to mock them as they stumble along the track. Rather, we are joyous about our race together. I'm joyous that you're just in the race. We're saying constantly, Man, can you believe that, that Jesus has let us run this race together? We're joyous that we are all running in the same direction. I've been working on this sermon for a week and on Friday I saw a video that I think, I think perfectly explains this idea about 
the church and running together and the race and how we're supposed to gather together. It's a video, you might have, you might have seen this, it's a video of a, of a cl- children's classroom and they're doing PE or they're doing something and they're all playing around and, and there's this little girl and they must, they must not be older than six. They're probably not even older than six years old. And this little girl's in the middle and all her friends are around the edges of the room. And this little girl has MS. And it was the first time that she has tried walking in front of her classmates without her crutches. And her steps are wobbly and they're awkward and they're, they're straight-legged and it's slow and it's stumbling. And, but to see her classmates and the joy that they have by seeing their classmate walk. They don't care that she's stumbling around. They don't care it's awkward. The look on their faces says everything. The smiles on their faces that they're clapping and and leaping with joy about this little girl who's walking for the first time in front of them. And that is to be the picture of the church. That you and I were running this race together. And my job is not to see you stumbling and to laugh and to mock or to push push you aside or to judge you. My job is to help scoop you up and enjoy. Say, let's go. We can do it. Let's get back on the track. But unfortunately, if you know church, you know that this is true. Unfortunately, the church often spends more time judging one another for the way that we walk or the way that we run. We spend more time mocking each other's efforts or refusing to lend a hand. And Paul is going to tell a church in Rome 2,000 years ago that we can even set stumbling blocks and traps for one another as we run this race. Let me show you what I mean. Let's read this together. Romans, big number 14. Little number 13. goes like this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Do not, for the sake of food, Destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes a brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay. Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know kind of what's going on. You know that this church in Rome is disintegrating. They are fighting each other tooth and nail. They are, there's no unity in this church. And we saw last week that this church was arguing over opinions. And remember, opinions are not something that's spelled out in here. Opinions are not something that God has told us one way or the other. Opinions are how I feel about something. And opinions can matter. But this church was tearing itself apart over these kind of opinions. 
And we know that Paul's going to tell us today that these opinions in the church did not stay between their ears. But these, this, these opinions have taken on legs and have taken on words and have taken on actions. And these words and these actions have begun to harm the faith of brothers and sisters in this church. And so the question is, what is more important? Your opinions and the actions that come from those opinions? Or is the faith of your brothers and sisters more important? And this is what they're disagreeing about. Can Christians eat meat that might have been sacrificed to idols? Can they do that? Are Christians free to eat meat sacrificed to idols? We have a, a group in the church of Jewish Christians, Jewish backgrounds that come to Christ and they still have their Jewish kind of baggage going on and they say, no, no. You can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. I've been told my whole life that the things you eat or the things you avoid either make you clean before God or make you dirty before God. I've been taught that my whole life by my dad, by my grandpa, by my, by my church, by the temple. All these people are telling me, stay away from it. In other words, they still held to the belief that what you, what you eat can make you clean or unclean before God. Can you feel kind of where, where they're coming from? Can you feel, we've got traditions and you've got things from your past and you understand how deeply some of these things can, can be set in our minds. We know how hard it is sometimes to set those aside. And last week we even saw, this is an important point, last week we even saw that Paul calls this group of believers who believe you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols, Paul calls them weak in the faith. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, this group is wrong. It is not in itself sinful to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's not. This group was called weak in the faith because they understood the gospel. They were true believers they knew Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. They knew we are saved by faith and not by works. And yet, they knew these things, but could not correctly apply them to their dinner table. So you have weak in the faith. And then you have a group of Greek Christians who understand the gospel just like the Jewish Christians did. And they understand, they don't have any of this, Greek, this, this Jewish baggage. And they say, hey, I'm saved by grace through faith. We know that idols are nothing. We know there's only one God. I can eat a cheeseburger to the glory of God and enjoy it, and that is fine. That's the group I'd be in, by the way. Eating a cheeseburger to the glory of God. I'm going to do that later today, I think. Yeah. These Greek Christians knew their freedom in Christ applies to their dinner table. Knew They knew we are not clean by what we eat or by what we don't eat. And what might seem as kind of an outer edge conversation for Christians, what does it really matter? We might say that, but this church was tearing itself apart over this difference. The Greek Christians... We're looking at those Jewish Christians, and they were despising them. Believe what they say? There's a bunch of snobs over there. And the Jewish Christians were looking at the Greek Christians, and they were judging them. Can you believe? My parents taught me better than that. Can you believe the things that they're eating? And this disagreement took on legs, these opinions took on actions in the church. Can you imagine the tension when you got together as a church to eat a meal together? Can you imagine the tension? Can you imagine what's going on there? Can you imagine the looks that you got eating your burger from the Jewish table over there? 
So this, this, this disagreement took on actions. The meat eaters would eat meat with little or no thought to the impact these actions were having on the church. They said, eating meat, is it restricted by the Word of God? No. No, all those dietary restrictions were reserved for the, the people of Israel but now Jesus has come and he has fulfilled those ritualistic rules and laws in his broken body. He is now our temple. He is now our sacrifice. He is now our righteousness. And so, he, so everything is clean for us. They, they knew that. And so they said, I am free in Christ to eat meat. It is not restricted in here, and it is not restricted in here. My conscience is clear. So I'm going to eat meat. And I'm going to do it sitting at your table. And I'm going to do it offering a bite to your kids. Because you're wrong. Your kids need to know that you're wrong. Your kids need to know they have freedom in Christ. That's bad theology. Now at this point, we have a conflict about true freedom. The true freedom we have in Christ to eat meat. We have a right side and a wrong side. And so Paul could have done three things. As far as I can tell, Paul has three options. He could say, hey, that's a little spicy. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to touch that. Paul could say, hey, this church pays some of my bills and I don't, I don't want to step into that, so you, you all just do it yourself. Paul could have said that, but he didn't. Paul could have said, Jewish Christians, you're wrong. Grow up. Don't be, don't be telling these people what they can and can't do. Grow up. Get over it. Mind your own business. Could have said that, but he didn't. What Paul says is he takes the group that is right. That's an important point. Takes the group that is right. And God, speaking through Paul, gives the church this command. Surrender your freedom to defend your brothers. Run with the Lord. Is that countercultural or what? Surrender your freedom to defend your brothers. Run in the Lord. Yes, you can eat. You, it's not a sin for you to eat meat. It's, it, it doesn't make you unclean before God. We know that. But you must surrender your freedom to defend your brothers. Run in the Lord. Read 15 with me again, would you? For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Read verse 21 with me. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything. Anything? Or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So, how in the world would my freedoms potentially harm my brother and sister's run in the Lord? Paul says, exercising my freedom can cause my brother to take their eyes off of Jesus. He says this in verse 13. Ready? Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. What the church was doing, what the Greek Christians were doing, what the meat eaters were doing, is that they were taking a big juicy bite of their steak, a big juicy bite of their hamburger, sitting right next to their brothers in Christ. And what they didn't realize, or what they did realize they didn't care, what they, what they were doing was they were running alongside and all of a sudden they'd skip out into the woods, come back with a big boulder. And as they're running aside, taking a big bite of that hamburger, they toss that boulder right at the feet of their brother or sister in Christ. Placing a stumbling block. It means exactly what it, what it says. A rock 
that a jagged rock that causes you to trip and fall. In the run in the Lord, the meat-eating brother was eating meat, sitting next to the Jewish brother who had a problem with it, and it was like putting a jagged rock under their feet. The stumbling block here would be me taking a big juicy bite and then you looking at me with daggers in your eyes, with bitterness in your heart, with grief or unnecessary anger or sadness or contempt and all these things. Can we be looking at Jesus, our prize? Can we be looking at the finish line when we're looking at bitterness? Can we be looking at Jesus the same time we're looking at bitterness? No. Can we be looking at Jesus the same time we're, lo we're, we're looking at unrighteous anger? No. And so it was like every time they took a bite of that meat, every time they were in that church gathering or at that house or they invited them to the restaurant and they sat down and took that bite of meat, it was like they're throwing little stones at their brother's feet, causing them to trip and stumble, just bringing up bitterness and anger unnecessarily. And they weren't just doing that. Paul says they were exercising their freedom to eat meat, and they were even causing their brothers to fall into sin. Paul says, don't. Don't put a stumbling block in their way and don't put a hindrance in their way. That translation right there might be, it might be a better translation to say trap. Paul uses the same Greek word a few chapters before in chapter 11. He says this, let their table become a snare and a trap. Hindrance, trap. What is Paul saying? He's saying as we run our race, as we exercise freedoms that we might disagree with in our brothers and sisters, what we might be doing is setting a trap right before their feet that snares them and keeps them, and, and keeps them at the same place in their run for Jesus. A trap that stops their pursuit of Jesus. How does that work? That's different than them stumbling Paul is saying often, if somebody, if a Jewish Christian in their heart, their conscience believes that eating meat is wrong, and I'm saying, hey, come here, come on, listen, you're crazy. You've only been a Christian for six months. I've been a Christian for 12 years. Come on, let me help. Just sit down, just take a bite. You're going to like it. You're going to see that nothing happens. You're going to see that, that there's no lightning that comes out of the sky and strikes you down. Come and eat. And they're taking their young brothers and sisters in Christ, their arms around them, sh shoving a burger in their face, and as their brothers and sisters eat, they're setting a trap. But how is, this a, how is this a sin for them to eat meat and not for me to eat meat? How is this a sin for me to try to convince you, come on, eat some meat, grow up, eat some meat. How is that a trap because Paul already said, eating meat itself is not a sin. How is this a trap? Let's read verse 23 together. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the biblical principle seems to be this. If on these non-biblically clear issues, you are convinced in your conscience that it is a sin, to partake in it is a sin. Because you are partaking it in other reasons other than faith. What does this look like? If your conscience tells you not to eat meat, don't eat meat. to eat meat for any other reason other than the Holy Spirit convincing your conscience that you're okay to eat for any other reason to eat meat is sin for you. 
Just think about it. You're convinced that you're not eating meat to the glory of God. That's what Paul told us last week. You're convinced that in your run towards Jesus to eat meat would cause you to stumble or cause you to be ensnared by sin. You're convinced that you're glorifying God and obeying Him by not eating meat. You're convinced in that, and then you let some Yahoo like me convince you and peer pressure you into taking a bite. If my conscience says I shouldn't eat meat, the only reason for me to eat meat is if Christ moves my conscience. Do not eat meat for any other reason. Don't eat it for peer pressure. Don't eat it because you're drunk. Don't eat it because you're ambivalent. Don't eat it because you're angry. Don't eat it because you're depressed. Don't eat it. This is a conversation that happens often in churches. Our churches go in this direction. And we, leadership has made a decision this way, and then you have somebody coming alongside going, man, I really don't support that. I, I can't do that. I can't. I, and, and we don't say, hey, get in line. Straighten up. Let's go. We say, hey, if that's your conscience, don't go against your conscience. And so far from trying to be a loving brother or sister in Christ, far from trying to help someone or encourage someone or build them up, when I'm trying to shove a hamburger in your face to tell you to grow up, even if you take a bite of it, I am causing you to sin. Paul says eating meat, the strong Christian, the strong in the faith, eating meat can grieve and even destroy my brother. By what you eat, Paul says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Grieve. The Greek word here, distress, sadness, sorrow, remorse. Eating hamburger was causing a brother or sister in Christ to grieve. Now, be very careful and hear me. This is not differences in opinion between your ears. It's not saying you hold something different in here than I do and I'm really mad at you about that. No, you, you can't deal with that. You can't worry about that. If I'm mad at you and angry about something that's in between your ears that's an opinion, that's my problem, not yours. The problem is when you know it's going to grieve me and you take a big bite out of that hamburger. Grieving this brother... It's grieving over a broken relationship. You'd eat that right in front of me? You know what I think about that. You'd, you'd eat that right in front of me? What does that say about how you think about me? It can grieve or destroy a brother. Come on. Come on, I'll show you how eating meat, nothing's going to happen. You're going to be fine. Look, I know how you feel about it, but come on, let me, let me fire the grill up and give you a bit. See, take a bite. Doesn't that taste good? See, don't worry about it. And then what do they do on the ride home? I can't, I can't believe. I can't believe I sinned against God for a bite of a hamburger. I can't believe meat led me so far astray. What kind of Christian am I? Can you imagine? You felt it. Can you imagine what they're going through on their drive home? Doesn't matter if you're right. That kind of weight of guilt and shame and regret causes my brother to stumble. What we're doing when we're tempting our brother in this way, when we're setting a trap for our brother or sister, what we're doing is that we're teaming up with the devil. Because what the devil's going to do, he's going to say, hey, yeah, I know what your conscience says, but come on, all those mature Christians at church are, are eating it, are doing it, so just take a bite. You're okay. And then what does the devil do? I've been teaching my daughters this. Come on, take a little bite. And then after you take a bite, what does he say? I can't believe you did that. You call yourself a Christian. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's how the devil works. Paul says, don't team up with the devil. 
Don't exercise his freedom and sacrifice your brother or sister in Christ. Don't exercise his freedom if it causes them to stumble. Don't exercise his freedom if it's setting a trap for your brothers or sisters. He says, don't exercise his freedom because it could stunt the spiritual growth of my church. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. What's he saying? If I'm going to take your son over to my table, you're a Jewish believer, I'm a Greek believer, and I give him a big bite of the steak on my plate, and that wells up in this 16-year-old boy some shame and guilt, and he confesses to his parents, and his parents come and say, what are you doing? The whole church is going to find out about it, and what are they going to say? I told you eating meat was evil. That destroyed my son. What's going to happen? Your correct theological application of your freedom in Christ is being seen as evil in your church. Paul says, don't do that. Don't stunt the growth of your church. You're right. Christian, you're right. You can eat meat. Now be patient as your brothers and sisters in Christ learn that maturity. Don't exercise your freedom for selfish gain and stunt the growth of your church. Paul says it can even destroy a church. You've been in church long enough, you know arguments, fights, opinions, disagreements, personal conflicts can absolutely destroy a church. So pastor, how? Okay, I can put a stumbling block in front of my brother's sister as we run. I can put a trap in front of my brother's sisters as I run. All right, I kind of feel that. I kind of see what you're saying. I see the landscape. How can I be willing to sacrifice my freedoms to defend the run of my brother? Paul gives us two reasons. Paul says a, a view of God's mercy for sinners. A view, a view of God's mercy for sinners will motivate me to surrender my freedom so that I can defend my brother's run in the Lord. Read verse 15. So important. Verse 15. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Christians, What does it say about our view of the good news of Jesus? What does it say about our, the value we put on His blood if we are willing to sacrifice our brothers and sisters for the sake of meat? Jesus has spilled His precious blood for that brother in Christ. For that brother, that all the sin and all the immaturity and, and all the annoying opinions that they have and, and all the things that they've said to me that I just can't stand, all those things, all of those things have not turned away God's mercy for that brother. All of those things have now been, been baptized by the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, died for that brother sacrificed for that brother, spilled his precious blood. And if I care about the precious blood of Jesus, there's nothing I won't do to defend the faith of that brother. That's the correct understanding. It's not about that brother. If it's about that brother, sure, because that brother's going to annoy me again. That brother's not going to be lovable to me all the time. That brother's going to do terrible things sometimes. Yeah, if it's all on that brother, sure, I don't care. I'm going to eat my meat. But it's not about him. It's about the blood of Jesus spilled for him. Jesus wants that man, and he wants that man across the finish line. And he wants him there so bad that he died for that man. Do not put a stumbling block or a trap in the way from somebody who Jesus died for. That brother is Jesus' glorious, glorious inheritance. Defend his run. Ephesians 1. That brother is evidence of Jesus' mercy. Romans 12. Defend his run. That brother is a source of praise to Jesus. Defend his run. Defend his run. 
God will never accept an excuse to harm the run of a brother or sister in Christ over opinions or freedoms. He'll never accept that. I know God, I know our, we strained our relationship, but I know that made, him, that made him upset at me and upset at the church, and there's all this joy was sucked out of the building, but, but man, they didn't want me to eat meat. Can you believe it? Never going to accept that. In view of God's mercy for sinners, surrender your freedom so that your brother can run in the Lord. In other words, remember Jesus sacrificed His life for them, so dare not refuse to sacrifice lunch. Are you with me? That's really good. My friends, please remember, Jesus sacrificed His life for them, so dare not refuse to sacrifice lunch. In view of God's mercy, how do I, how do I get myself into a place where I will sacrifice my freedoms for my brother or sister in Christ? A view of God's mercy through the kingdom of God will motivate me to surrender my freedom to defend my brother's walk with Christ. Let's read verse 17 together. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Kingdom of God is what Jesus has brought. Kingdom of God is Jesus' favorite topic to discuss. When we eat and drink, when we exercise our freedoms in Christ, we must remember that my freedoms in Christ are not of first importance to the kingdom of God. And we must not confuse this. We must not confuse this. Because in Western Christian churches, our temptation is to believe that church is a country club. And we, 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 we could fall in temptation to believe that my freedoms, my benefits, my comforts, all of these things are of first importance. I'm looking for a church that makes me comfortable, that says the exact same things that I want to hear, that doesn't ask too much of me, that lets me jump over the bar of being a Christian. If I could step over that bar and feel like a good Christian, that's the church I'm looking for. I pay my dues, so I expect comforts, freedoms, benefits, and privileges. So Jesus died to bring me those things. Or the kingdom of God is like a soda machine. I slide my dollar bill of faith in, and I want comfort and freedoms and benefits and privileges to come popping out. That's our temptation. And when we have that temptation that believes that, that Christ died first and foremost so I can eat meat, if we believe our freedoms are first importance for the kingdom, then of course I'm going to sacrifice my brother's run. I mean, come on. They're threatening to take away my meat. They're saying I shouldn't be eating meat. That's what Jesus died for. Jesus died so I can eat a hamburger. Jesus did die so that you could have lots of freedoms and that you can enjoy a hamburger. That's, that's part of why Jesus died, but that is not of first importance. Paul says what is of first importance is righteousness. What's righteousness in this case? Loving my brothers and sisters in Christ and being willing to sacrifice for them. That's of first importance in the kingdom. First importance in the kingdom is peace. Peace in your heart, yes. But peace between us. The Bible says Jesus died to break the wall of hostility between us. That's of first importance to the kingdom. So 
So in view of the kingdom of God, my freedom is a slave to righteousness. Are you with me? My freedom is a slave to peace. My freedom is a slave to joy. Peace is the master. Freedom is the slave. So if my freedom takes away peace, something's wrong. Righteousness is the master. Freedom is the slave. So if my freedom takes away my righteousness, something is wrong. Joy is the master. Freedom is the slave. If my freedom is sucking joy out of my church, something is wrong. Verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Laying down our freedoms for one another. Laying down our freedoms to make sure that we're not, I'm not causing you to stumble. Laying down my freedom to make sure I'm not setting a trap for you. Laying down my freedom for righteousness, peace, and joy. Doing these things is how we serve Jesus. Doing these things serves Jesus and makes us acceptable to God. Doing these things makes us approved by men. Don't forget, there are 30,000 unchurched people within 10 miles of where you're sitting. 30,000. What if God blesses us and we see a thousand Come to be saved through the ministry of this church? That'd be amazing. Would you like to be a part of something like that? That's something that's going to last forever. That's more important than anything else we do is if we, see, if we could see that, if we work towards that. That is our mission. That is why we are here to make faithful followers. To pull people from the stands and help us run the race. And as they're sitting in the bleachers, watching you and I run, if they see me throwing stones at your feet, if they see me setting traps for you, they're going to know it. Nothing is hidden. God will not be mocked. They're going to see. They're going to find out that this church is fighting or that church is fighting or freedoms are more important. They're going to see that. And when they see a church sacrificing, surrendering rights, laying down opinions for one another, they will see a church full of Jesus followers. It's simple math. This is what Paul says. Romans 14, 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. They're going to see us running this race, and if I'm clinging to my freedom, even though it's making you stumble, they're going to see that. I'm not running in love. But then Jesus comes and says, John 13, 35, by this everyone will know you are my disciples, Jesus says, if you love one another. So when I lay my freedoms down, they're going to see me as a disciple of Christ. Simple math. Simple math. Let us not sacrifice evangelistic effectiveness for lunch. Okay. I see my... Freedoms can cause a brother or sister Christ to stumble. We saw the depth of that. We see, Paul says, our spiritual motivation is the gospel. Our spiritual motivation is we, we, we are willing to set down our freedoms for our brother or sister in Christ because Jesus' blood is covering them and I find Jesus' blood precious. He says, our motivation for laying down our freedoms is the kingdom of God and I know of first importance is righteousness, peace, and joy. Secondary is my freedom. So I'm willing to, my, my freedom is a slave to righteousness. We see that. So here are two practical ways we can start when it comes to freedoms in Christ. The first one it's so incredibly countercultural. 
even in Christian churches. Here's the first one. You want to get started? You want to get started laying down your freedoms for Christ? You want to get started having a good race for those in the stands? You want to get started supporting joy and peace and righteousness in your church? This is what Paul says. Keep our opinions to ourselves. Keep our opinions to ourselves. Look what Paul says, verse 22. Read this with me. You might not believe it's in there. I promise it is. Read this with me. Verse, verse 22 says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Does this mean don't share your faith with your brother or sister? Does this mean not share your faith with your cousin or your neighbors? No. We're talking about weak faith and strong faith. We're talking about faith when it comes to eating burgers. He says, keep that between yourself and God. This is not to lie about what you believe. If you come and ask me, do I eat a cheeseburger? I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you and say no and then go to McDonald's right after this, right? Say, yeah, you know, I think you can. What Paul is saying is, don't bring it up all the time. Don't eat a burger in front of their face. Don't go on Facebook and say, can you believe some people are silly enough to think I can't eat burger and, go and follow Christ? Don't put that on Facebook. Keep your opinion between yourself and God. Don't, you don't need your opinion to define your life. If it's an issue that causes strife or stumbling or tripping or trapping, we don't need to throw it in anybody's face. We don't need to be... The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. It's amazing how this, this theme goes through so much of Scripture. Keep it between yourself. Don't cause people to stumble. Just be silent. Be quiet. Be calm. It's amazing how much of this is in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Aspire to live quietly. To attend to your own matters. James 1.19 Know this, my brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs 29 A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Preacher, you've been really tough on Facebook lately. It's, just, it's, a, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. They see your Facebook. They see my Facebook. They see what I'm talking about. They see how I treat you. For the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, understand that our worth, our value, is not in whether we're right and wrong about this opinion. Our worth and our value is not about everybody agreeing with me. My worth is in Jesus. And as we said last week, no matter what my opinions are on these things, He's going to get me across the finish line. So I, I don't need to bring my opinions up in every conversation. I don't need to flaunt my opinions. My opinions don't define me. Jesus defines me. And finally, before we leave this, we need to make sure that we're not living our life saying, oh my, all my freedoms, I'm so worried that I'm going to offend everybody. That's not what we're talking about. Paul says, if this doesn't restrict you, and if they if their heart and their run doesn't restrict you, Paul says, go for it. You have freedom in Christ. Your conscience says you can eat that hamburger. Eat that hamburger. If your conscience is clear, Scripture is clear, your brother and sister in Christ are clear, enjoy that. You don't have to go sneaking around worried about what people are going to say. Enjoy it. And when somebody comes and has an issue with it, then you make a wise decision about how you're causing somebody to stumble. But enjoy your burger. Christ has given us so much freedom that we can enjoy and have fun with, have a great life with. Don't let other people restrict you unnecessarily. Enjoy. Enjoy. He says this. You ready? Let's go 22 as we close right here. The faith 
that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Do you approve of eating meat? You're blessed. What a grace of God that you're in the Roman church. This group doesn't like it, but you can go home, close your doors, fire up the grill, eat a burger with your family, and not feel guilty about it. Isn't that great? Don't go and sit next to the person on the pew and open your bag of McDonald's. Don't do that, but go home and enjoy. Enjoy the freedom that God has given you. Part of running our race well is helping others run their race well. Faithful followers make faithful followers. Faithful followers run the race and help others run the race. I'm going to close with these verses from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Part of laying aside every weight for us is making sure we don't lay weight on our brothers and sisters. Enjoy, I'm asking the worship team to come up. Enjoy your freedoms, but remember your freedoms are secondary. Enjoy our freedoms, but remember our brothers and sisters in Christ are more precious than any freedoms we might have. As the worship team comes back up, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, Father God, I pray that we can be a church that's not known for opinions or freedoms or anything other than the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, help us be wise in pursuing freedoms. Thank You for giving us so many freedoms, Father. Thank You that we, we don't have this ritualistic weight that the people of Israel had over them. Thank You that Jesus has come and freed us of that. Thank You that we have so much more freedom to enjoy. But Father, may we always remember that that freedom, though it's precious, is not the most precious thing. The most precious thing is running our race. The most precious thing is helping one another run their race. Father, may we be a church that's known for stooping down and help, helping one another up as we stumble. May we be a church that does not set traps for each other. May we be a church that, like that little girl, may we be a church that is joyful that we are just running the right direction. May we not be overly critical of one another, but Father, may we love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.